Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, waiting, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy goal. A major part of this new approach is talking openly about what my grief is like instead of keeping it to myself. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate and supportive environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today, I'm talking about a post entitled Keys, Please. It actually, uh, it actually posted over the weekend. A few posts ago, I described a concept I call the grief threshold. In essence, the grief threshold is a level at which our ability to stuff down grief gives way, like a levee breaking. When we notice our response to something, even if non-grief related, is inappropriate or someone else points it out, that's a sure sign that we may have surpassed the grief threshold. The dynamic arises when we use all of our energy resisting our pain and trying to protect ourselves from the world, which leaves little emotional stamina or resilience to work through the inevitable mundane challenges of being human. I recall an example of this from my own life over a decade ago. I traveled to Virginia Beach, Virginia with Zach and his dad, Ernest, one Saturday morning where I would run the rock and roll half marathon the next morning. The drive was a long one. It wasn't so far away, but the traffic was terrible. Once in Virginia Beach, we located a Costco where we could grab some snacks and drinks for the room and we'd be meeting up with friends who were also running the next morning. It was a hot end of August Saturday. Costco was mobbed. Zach and I both needed to use the bathroom, and we were all happy to land for a few minutes before heading to the hotel. We got Zach into his stroller, and after hitting the restroom, which was his own challenge, we were on our way. Ernest and I split up, as we often did, when we had Zach out for an errand. One of us did the actual shopping, The other kept Zach safe and distracted. We met up towards the checkout line or even sometimes at the parked car. I was on Zach duty that day. So while Ernest shopped for provisions, Zach and I walked around the store and I pushed his stroller wherever he wanted to go. At the time, there was a large DVD section and a lot of books And Zach always loved to peruse these things from his stroller. In the midst of that, I knew that our outing was almost coming to an end. 
So I reached for my keys just to be ready when I got the exit text from Ernest somewhere else in that huge crowded warehouse. To my dismay, I didn't have them. My heart sank. One of the personal adjustments I've made to alleviate the workload whenever I'm with Zach is not to carry a purse. Or if I do have to, carry the bare minimum of a purse, like just a mini wallet with my driver's license and credit cards. So when I couldn't find the keys, I didn't have a purse to check. Just my pockets, the compartments of the stroller, and basically, well, that's it. I couldn't find them. I began to panic. I found Ernest and traded Zach with him while I retraced our steps from the time we entered the store. My heart was racing. I felt like I was going to vomit and scream or both. I went near the displays where Zach and I had walked, putting my hands in and around all the tables to see where I'd put them down. Before going into what happened next, try to imagine the totality of this mounting stress for me. We're in another state than the one we live in. Zach's feeding tube, all of his nutrition and medications are locked in the car. We don't have the keys. He's now overdue to be fed and get his medications. We have provisions that are just paid for, but no way to get them into the car, keep them cold. It's hot as hell. And Zach is making his discomfort and anxiety known to all. And a literal sense of fear took over. I remember it clearly because fear is not an emotion that makes its way to my radar much. Even so long ago, I usually had the attitude that if Zach and Ernest and I all had what we needed, the rest would always sort itself out. And it really usually did. But in this moment, we didn't have what we needed. We were hot, hungry, thirsty, and had been on the road for a good five hours. I couldn't breathe. Physically, my stomach was turning and my heart racing. I went to the front of the warehouse and asked if they could make some kind of an announcement to see if anyone had found my keys. But they told me there was no intercom system for the warehouse, so no way to muster up help on a large scale. So I went back to putting my hands in spaces around any displays where we had been, thinking I must have set them down. This went on for several minutes, probably seemed like an eternity, and finally, defeated, no keys found, I went outside to see how the guys were doing. I wanted to run out to the car with the keys in the air. All good, I got them. (laughs) But I couldn't, because I didn't. So for whatever reason, I decided at that time to give the stroller in all of its compartments a final look. And there they were, in the bottom of the stroller, where I had apparently thrown them on the way into Costco. I was relieved and shocked at the same time. How could I have missed them when I searched? Do we really just go through this traumatic ordeal for nothing? And in parentheses, if trauma sounds like an extreme way to describe the experience, I assure you, it's not. I was relieved and exhausted at the same time. Forget the half marathon. My physical body felt like I'd already run it. I apologized to Ernest and Zach as we quietly got into the car, packed up what had been purchased over an hour earlier, and found our way to the hotel. 
I share this experience as an example of how a lowered grief threshold can force our bodies and minds into a state of sheer panic. When all my energy was going into quote unquote holding it together and pushing down the grief for months and for years, my physical reaction to losing the keys literally had me wanting to die right there. And by die, I mean cease to exist. The five alarm fire that was going on in my mind and body literally felt like it would kill me. And in that moment, I wanted it to. I can't do this anymore, in all caps, is one of the many expressions that were running through my mind as the tears rolled and I thought I would explode. As I roamed the store before finally succumbing to going back outside with no keys, my self-talk was a familiar, familiar narrative. Something like this. Yeah, this is exactly my life. I'm in this enormous, well-stocked store filled with countless items and people, but none of them can help me. This always happens. I can't win. This is all just too damn hard. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to explode. Why did I think we could pull this off? I should have known better. I'm not planning any more trips that are all this, insert expletive, hard. I'm done. And sense an exaggeration and a frustration in the tone. So once the mind gets going, the body follows. Somatosensory response is dependable. I felt in that moment like I would have drank, ate, swallowed, or smoked anything I could get my hands on to make that feeling stop. And like so many times, there was nothing. I sat quietly in the front seat, now in the role of navigator, to get us from Costco to the hotel where we could get Zach fed and medicated. When I was tightly holding all of my grief in my bones and hiding it from myself and the world, everyday glitches that could happen to anyone seemed like a personal attack on me and also seemed insurmountable. There was a serious issue in that moment, no question. But... If I'd had the wherewithal to adequately search the stroller rather than doing it quickly and panicking, I probably would have found keys right where I put them, crisis averted. But instead of taking the time to look thoroughly, I went right into full-blown panic and defeat. I played that role well. It was like a switch that would flip. And it only took a moment for me to jump right into catastrophizing mode, and secretly wishing I could just disappear forever. This type of victim energy is what I carried around for more than 20 years, simply because I would not make room for the grieving parts of me. On the surface, the car had gas, the clothes were clean, bills were paid, and we were moving along just like everyone else. But deep down, There was an inferno and pain and loss and anger that I never allowed to have a voice. So when doing something that happens to everyone, like losing keys, I couldn't move through that easily. I had to carry the big bag of what one of my good friends says, 
my big bag of bullshit. (laughs) I had to carry the big bag of imagining the worst, feeling completely unseen, and a hefty dose of despair on my back everywhere I went. I thought I was moving on, but really I was just drowning. My experience of the grief threshold is that if I don't make room for my grief, it overtakes me. Maybe not today, (laughs) maybe not this week, but eventually that tugging call to end the pain would always come. Tell me my life was too hard, that I tried, but I can't do it anymore, that it's not worth it. I didn't realize I was sitting on a massive volcano waiting to erupt. The feelings of wanting to escape, anesthetize, feel nothing, and die, even, if that's what it took, were actually comprised of thousands of these repeated invitations to look at the little lava spills that I couldn't keep cool anymore. Let's try to be mindful that when there's a five-alarm fire going on in our bodies and our minds, that we can receive this as an indicator that things are brewing and need our love, acceptance, and attention. It's an invitation to pause and look for clues that we're stuffing down grief, which may include but are not, which may include but are not limited to these types of, I call them all or nothing thinking or experiences when I say I'm all done and I can't do and um, I, I quit, whatever it might be. So when we find ourselves narrating in the extremes like this, it's a really good clue to pay attention. And it's the perfect time to create space and press the release valve before the whole stack blows. (laughs) And spoiler alert, the stack will blow if we don't, and only every time. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. And I think this post kind of speaks for itself. Um, I'm just, I'm really interested in this idea of the grief threshold. And so I'm trying to find ways to share it and um, give you the metaphors or the visuals because it is literally like imagine when we're grieving, we're sitting on a volcano and we won't let it do what it needs to do. So, you know, we just ignore it. And then little by little, it starts to erupt and we see, oh, a little lava over there. Oh, I overreacted to something or, oh, a little lava over there. I can't sleep or, oh, a little lava over there. I drank two glasses of wine instead of the only the one that I wanted to have. We start seeing the lava spills, but we don't see them for what they are. So we do a little bit more of the things that we use to numb and we do a little bit less of checking in. And then you find yourself at a Costco in another state, just literally wanting to die. And I'm not saying that that wasn't innately stressful. When you have a kid on a feeding tube, you don't ever not think about them getting what they need. It's like having that, um, you know, newborn that you know is totally reliant. And Zach's a pretty independent guy, but left to his own devices, he can't support himself nutritionally. So that's always on our mind. So yeah, it was stressful. It was hot. We were tired. We wanted to get to the hotel. I think we, at that time, we still had to go to like the, um, conference center to pick up the bibs and all that. So anyway, all of that to say that when those little lava spills start to happen around us and we're grieving, let's try to pay attention because we know that if we don't, the shit's going to blow. And when it blows, it is not going to care where we are, 
or, you know, what we're doing or how public it might be or, um, you know, mercifully and gratefully for me, the one thing that I don't seem to have a problem with um, is a bad temper. So, which is probably really good news for me because um, if I really did share the anger that I was feeling, I, I just, I, I, I know you all can relate. You just feel like it'll be too much. It'll be too overwhelming. But in any event, I didn't melt down in a very public way, even though I probably have dreams, fun dreams about doing this. Like I'm just not a destructive one to like tear stuff down or yell or make a scene. Unfortunately, though, for me, I did all that. I just did it to myself instead of my environment. And that's what I think eventually caught up with me. So the invitation, again, is we've got to make space for the grief. If we don't handle our grief, our grief handles us. And it literally just wants to see the light of day, have your attention, have my attention, um, just have our respect. And once we do that, we, we know that there's still a volcano there, but it cools off. And it, it, you know, we visit it every so often, but I hope you're following this metaphor. I'm getting carried away. Thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. And let's, you know, until next time, do our best to stay present, to stay grateful, and to stay healing, and to stay paying attention to these invitations. And thank you so much, as always, for listening.